Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we have another Career Pathways episode coming at you. And it's pretty exciting because we were joined by Captain Jack Mullen, who is a retired Bering Sea captain. And now he does kind of speaking engagements and stuff. But he has a great story to tell about his career in wild-caught fisheries on the Bering Sea. And it's just a really, really fun conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get to that, Please remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you get this podcast so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to reach out to us, fill out the form located at www.globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And lastly, if you have a couple minutes, please take some time to leave us a quick rating and review on wherever you get your podcast so we can help use that algorithm to get on more search results and just grow this community of listeners. We hope you enjoy this episode. We appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. We desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So today we're sitting down with Captain Jack Molin. How's it going, Jack? Very good, thanks. And Jack was gracious enough to uh, come on the show to talk about his career pathway. And we all love the Career Pathways episodes. We actually had a run of them at the end of the year in 2021. Uh, we had a lot that a lot of people that came on and talked about their career, and it was really inspiring. But not too many people uh, that have had careers on the wild caught fisheries side. And Jack uh, was uh, Captain Jack was. Uh, a captain on the Bering Sea for many years. And uh, how many years were you, were you a captain out there? You were an engineer uh, first and then captain? From, you're going to date me here. From 87 to 2014, okay. whatever that is. Almost 30 years, I guess. I just want to make a note that we didn't ask for dates. He volunteered that information himself. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack was a, a captain out on the Bering Sea. And I think a lot of people have these um, really adventurous and, and aggressive visions of the Bering Sea. And, and Jack was out there working. He was, he was living that. So we're really excited to hear some of the stories you had and kind of the path that you took to get to where you are now, which is retirement, uh, yeah. uh, you know, which is kind of the goal for a lot of people. But I think uh, having such an exciting career and being able to talk about that afterwards is is really special. So uh, I'm going to just hand it off to you and we'll just kind of interrupt you when questions or <laughs> comments come to our mind. But uh, go ahead, start at yeah. the beginning, wherever you think uh, is the best place to start. And then we okay. are excited to hear your story. Well, if you do have questions, just interrupt me because I'm kind of unflappable that way you know we're, we're good at interrupting yes, I yeah. so good at interrupting. Yeah, right on. <laughs> well i you know i had to pause a little bit and reflect on my career as and i never really thought of it as a career but it was my path and when i knew i was going to come on here i thought how the heck did this happen you know um my my overriding personality has always been to question like what was normal or what was as a kid or any of the any of those times um i got hooked on surfing and that's all i wanted to do was surf i was a surf dog that's that's what i was going to do um i was raised in a straight family i straight excuse me i was raised in a in a a kind of a leave it to beaver family um and i was taught that you had to work to make a living so i was never a surf bum but 
that's all I wanted to do. As soon as I got out of high school, I went right down to the beach and I, I, I got this thing that stuck with me my whole life. People always ask you, especially when you're younger, especially when you're just getting out of college or whatever, they say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, they ask you that in business. What are you going to do now? And my mind automatically switches over to, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I know what I'm not going to do. And that may not resonate with some people, but for me, if you're looking at endless possibilities, you're out there and you just every job available, every lifestyle available, whatever, it's overwhelming. How can you pick what you're going to do? But I knew what I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to wear a tie. I wasn't going to work in an office. I wasn't going to commute. I wasn't going to live like that. I just wasn't. I didn't know what I was going to do. But when you eliminate 95% of the options, then you could actually focus on some things that, yeah, I could do that, you know, or I could do this sort of thing. And it actually worked for me all the way up through working in the Bering Sea. I might, I don't want to make the leap to that part of my story, I guess, but that was my thinking. You know, like what, when you come out to look for crab or look for fish, what are you going to do? Everybody wants to know, hey, where are you going? What are you going to do? And for me, it was like, I don't know. I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to waste time. I'm not going to wish the fish were here. I'm not going to wish that, you know, this guy wasn't a bad guy. I'm just going to go. Okay, so so that's that was my take. And I started working in canneries. I lived in Seaside, Oregon. Believe it or not, Oregon has very good waves. and. Um, the fishing industry there was, it was pretty gnarly back in the 70s. In other words, it was like, you know, the guys you meet aren't the, aren't the sweetest guys. Um, <laughs> kind of the, the stereotypical movie fisherman. Yeah, yeah, you know, they made that movie back there on the East Coast. Uh, it was called, uh, not Deadliest, it was, um, what was the movie? Come on, help me, Maddie. The Perfect Storm? Perfect, Perfect storm. storm. I hated that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll tell you reasons why I hated it, but um, they did everything wrong and they made a movie out of them. But working in a cannery, I discovered that these fishermen made really good money and they had time off. And it was like, wow, you, you make money and you have time off? Yeah, man. This guy says, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to Mexico this winter. I'm going, that's for me. I got to do this. But I didn't really like the looks of the crowd. It was like... I don't know. The captains were old. It was just, it just didn't look right. And, um, did you actually, actually got, know anything about commercial fishing? I didn't at that know point anything. Or? I worked at a cannery. I was yeah. a, you know, I had a Volkswagen bus and I was a surfer and I would work, I worked at the cannery because I had time off. I mean, I worked a swing shift, you know. But there was an appeal, right? There's money to be made and you don't have to work 12 months out of the year. The, yeah. The overriding thing for me that became a philosophy of life is you got to have time and you got to have money. Now, if you think about that for a minute, you know people with lots of money, but they don't have any time. Or you know people with lots of time, but they don't have any money. Both of those are kind of a bomb. So I was looking for that. I wanted to make some money and I wanted to have a life. I wanted to have some time also. And um, I discovered that I could do that working seasonally on a fishing boat. Um, now, back in the late 70s, the uh, king crab industry was a boom. It was an unbelievable boom. I could go on for that about an hour. Um, these king crab crawled up out of the deep somewhere. And suddenly the quotas, which they, Alaska's really good at keeping quotas. The quota for king crab was 100 million pounds for one season. And back then, boats are being built. Boats are, I mean, it was a boom. They're paying for boats in a year. And that's what I wanted to go do. 
that was they were new boats they looked like a, a good bunch of guys i eventually got on that's a whole nother story how i got on there but i was rejected a lot um nobody would talk to me because it was a boom and everybody was getting jobs for their friends but they wouldn't hire a greenhorn like myself and throughout so was it uh, a lot uh, about connections that you had to have in order to break in at first yeah or was it more just that you didn't have any experience and most of this is like generational uh a a combination of all that stuff that maddie um i have one of my sayings is that i taught my kids they always say it's not what you know it's who you know and I always added to that, it's not who you know, it's who likes you, you know, makes a big difference. You can be well known, but maybe nobody wants to work with you because you're a jerk, you know. So I always tried to teach myself and my crew that this is a people business. You think we're in the fishing business, we're actually in the people business. If you're not nice to people, if you don't treat people right, you're not going to get anything done. So I was just being as nice and charming as I could, and they still weren't hiring me <laughs> because I was – well, to, to, to give us some perspective, I mean, I saw a check back then for a 22-year-old for $107,000 for um, seven weeks of work, you know. Now, this is back when you could buy a house for $50,000, you know. These guys are coming home and buying two or three houses, the ones that were paying attention. The other ones were buying Corvettes and getting in trouble with the IRS. Um, that was very common. I, I probably worked half of my Alaska career with people that were in trouble with taxes, but that's another at, subject. At that age, it's pretty easy to fall into that, I imagine. Well, yeah, and it, the tax structure, the way it's set up, I don't want to get off base too far, but um, you literally don't have to pay for like 13 months. You don't pay estimates. You don't pay anything. So you get a big chunk of money. It's like it, it's a little bit like the athletic world where people take advantage of athletes that, you know, make a lot of money. There was a lot of that going on. But it was a cool time. It was an amazing time. I'm really glad I got in on it. Um, I fished king crab for five years, um, made some pretty good money, um, met a lot of good guys. I was on a super good boat. It was a brand new boat. And at one time I quit because I was... I didn't want to keep fishing because I just had a son. My my wife and I um, had had a son. He was six months old and I was going way too much. And I just didn't see any way to resolve that. And it wasn't the uh, crabbing had gone way downhill. So um, that was actually a bad decision financially. Um, but when I did go back, um, it picked up. It got steady. Um, I got the captain's job in 1987 which uh, for a boat like that, you almost have to have the guy die to get the job because nobody wants to let those jobs go. So I knew I'd, I'd scored a good job. But the first month, first season I was up there as captain, I was gone for 10 months. And oh, wow. Yeah, 10 months with kids um, and a wife. It's just, it wasn't going to work. And I had a really... Yeah, that, I, I, I can't really, even imagine. <laughs> no, and you know, I had friends that did that their whole career. They're gone nine, 10 months a year. And I was like, you know, I don't want to uh, give them, I mean, they're great guys, but I think their kids are kicking them in the shins half the time, you know, because they're just not, they just never, never knew their dad. So anyway, I talked to the owner. I said, I love this job. I love the boat, but I can't do this. I can't be gone 10 months a year. And he says, well, just get another captain. You can split it, you know, split the time. So sure enough, that was it. I hit it. Two months on, two months off, year round, and you know it paid well. Had a job I really liked, um, and I could be home for two months. When I was home for two months, I didn't get phone calls. I didn't hear anything about it because the other captain took care of it. 
So, so was this like the boat was owned by like another company and then you mm-hmm. were hired as the captain? And so yes. th- you can kind of, th- that's not a problem for them to kind of pass the boat around to different captains at different times of the year. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that that was kind of a structure that was out there. Well, uh, is we that how a lot of the fisheries yeah, works? Sean, we actually kind of created it. And uh, this is what I encourage anybody starting in the business is that I knew that this had the potential to really do it, but I, I didn't want I didn't want to sell out, I guess you'd call it, 10 months a year. That just wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew what I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to lose my family. I wasn't going to lose my kids. Um, you guys sense a theme here? <laughs> yeah, but I wanted, I wanted to make this work. I, you know, without, without an ego, I can say I was good at it. And we had a really good thing going, and I wanted to do it, but I had no idea how to get past that 10 month a year thing. So anyway, got another captain and uh, we worked it that way for many, many years. Um, we would fly up, get on the boat, go out and fish for a couple months. We have winter seasons and summer seasons in the Bering Sea. Uh, the winter season is uh, January, February, March, maybe into April, depending on how fishing was. And then summer season was June, July, August, September. So, you know, we'd have a lot of time off. It ended up, after we got really efficient at this quarter, it ended up, I only worked like four months a year. So Now, when you say fly up, where did you depart from? Yeah, well, generally you fly out of Seattle or Portland, depending on where we lived. Go up to Anchorage and then wait around and see if you can get a weather, an airplane out to Dutch Harbor, out to the Aleutian Islands. Um, you guys might have seen the show, Diddly's Catch Show. Um, yep. People think that the Bering Sea... And the Aleutian Islands are like way up in the Arctic. In fact, Dutch Harbor is only as far north as Vancouver Island. It's only 300 miles north of Seattle. Okay? Wow. But it's so far out west, it's farther west than Hawaii. So there's your geography lesson. Now, if you go clear out to the end of the Aleutian chain, the Aleutian chain is an amazing place. If you go out to the end, you're as far west as New Zealand. They have to jog the dateline out over there to get around it so that chain of islands is 1200 miles long like a necklace and it's the richest fishing grounds in the world this is an amazing place on one side it's 25,000 feet deep with 10,000 foot mountains so those are like 35,000 foot mountains this whole chain and on the other side is the Bering Land Bridge which is where all the fish in the crab are because it's shallow and that's where the life is so where was I? I think what you said about knowing what you don't want to do and knowing uh-huh. and how, having that help inform what you end up doing. And you were like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's relatable. I think that that is probably one of the most relatable things for people like in any industry across the world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love that you verbalized it in that way because that helps make a lot of decisions for you. And that knowing that you didn't want to be away for 10 months out of the year, that helped structure the life that you wanted to make for yourself. And so I just think yeah. that it's, it seems so simple, but it's such a valuable mm-hmm. lesson to learn. Well, that's, I think that's the key to a lot of these Captain Jackisms. is they're simple. They're really simple because I had to, I had to have this stuff in my head when it was dark out and the seas are 40 feet and my guys are on deck trying to stay alive. I had to have it in my head. What the hell heck are you doing? You know why you're doing this and you know what they're doing and they know what they're doing. But it was like, if I didn't have these little things to roll through my head, you, you, your fear can take over. And we can talk about fear. quite. I, I, uh, I made a huge study on 
being afraid because I had to get over being afraid or I couldn't produce. You know, I had to be, when you're doing a dangerous job, you can't be afraid of it, but you can't go at it with no fear either. Like those snowboarders you're around, Justin, they got these no fear sweatshirts on. That's crazy. You don't go with no fear. I, I don't want to get off on the subject on that right now because no, I want this to is just, a, that, I, That's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm curious of, of how you handled that. And maybe that's something that we can talk about mm-hmm. after you finish your story. But I'm, I'm really fascinated because that is, I mean, this is not, like you said, you chose to not have a job where you sit in an office or you commute to, yeah. to, to an office or sit in a cubicle or behind a computer. And so you're doing a job where there were real, are real dangers. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, you need to have a level head and you need to allow that fear to do what it's supposed to do in your lizard brain, you know, protect your mortal body. Um, But if you, if you're not able to face it in some capacity, you're never going to get your job done. So I'm really fascinated to hear about kind of how you psychologically handled that. But yeah, maybe, maybe we'll wait till after, uh, after you finish your story to get into some of those topics. Um, It's a big part of my, something that I can offer in a presentation that people can relate to. Okay. People can't relate to, to fishing in 40 foot seas or, you know, ice piling on the boat or all this stuff. You can come home with all these fantastic stories, but people are going to go, yeah, but you know, you know, I'm just, I'm afraid of uh, my coworker. I'm afraid of this or that. So fear, um, I actually did a pretty in-depth study for a couple of years about fear because I saw skippers that made it look easy. And we were in the same ocean, right? We were in the same big seas. We're in the same boats. And I saw skippers that imploded. They just fell apart. They were angry all the time. They were um, anxious. They were worried. They were screaming. They were never um, satisfied. And other guys would just have the stereo on and make it look easy. And I'm thinking, what's the difference? How, we're in the same place. We're, we're saying we're, you know, we're human beings. We're all about the same age. And we're all kind of have the same amount of experience, that sort of thing. And it all boiled down for me to what you're afraid of. And my basic premise is, and I'm not a psychologist by any means, but well, here's an example. Anger is a form of fear. Did you know that? When you're angry, you're afraid of something. Now, if you have a little child that jumps out in the street and you yank them back and you're mad, why'd you do that? Well, you thought they were going to get run over. Well, that's valid fear. That's a valid thing, right? Um, but if you are afraid your boss doesn't approve of what you're doing, that's a gnawing, endless kind of a draining fear. That's that's the kind of thing that you got to get behind. So, or you got to dig down on it. So basically. If fear is an emotion, and we are emotional creatures, we're wired for emotion, but I had to dig down and say, what am I afraid of? What's the belief? Okay, now, if you believe, I'll give you a quick example. If, if you're raised in the bush somewhere, and you were raised to believe that when the wind blew, there was evil spirits, okay? So when the wind blows, you're truly afraid. Your fear is real. And you can't just walk up to that person and say, I don't be afraid. You know, no, I'm really afraid, you know, but their belief is wrong. The fear is real, but the belief is wrong. And that is a fascinating. Yeah, it really, it's very um, subtle, not subtle, because you fear, fear um, blinds you. If you're afraid, that's all you can focus on is what you're afraid of. Okay. And if I was driving a boat, and I was afraid that 
this 40 foot wave is going to come through my windows and knock them out. I can't operate my boat or keep my crew safe because they're, I'm too busy looking at the windows. I'm too busy because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of that. So I have to go back and think, why do you think this could happen? What's the probability? I don't want to get too technical, but there's probability and possibility. You know, it's possible it could happen. It's definitely possible, but it probably isn't going to happen. When you take that attitude, your fear, you can deal with your fear and you can, then you can start to mitigate that from happening. But before that, you're just focused on the fear part. You're focused on what that. So that's what made me successful, I guess, operating in terrible conditions. Was it, I wasn't fearless, but I had to deal with, we might sink this time going out. We might, we might take a wave through the windows, you know, uh, a guy might fall overboard. So you deal with all those things to make it that, so that it probably won't happen. And then the fear will disappear, I guess, is how that works. Was that a little bit off base for, for no, no, that's, <laughs> career it's just, it's, it's just such a fascinating topic and it's a, an interesting kind of thought experiment to kind of walk through that. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you were able to share that. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, if I had to, um, if I had to, I guess, name anything that made me able to do this job, which made me successful, we were, you know, in the tops all the time, was that I was, um, I worked on my beliefs, which controlled my fears or controlled my emotions. Um, I yeah, like to start. It keeps you in check emotionally. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, right. I like to start out. Uh, I uh, when I do a a presentation, I'll ask people, "What's the number one thing that you need as a Bering Sea captain to be successful?" Just one thing, one thing. So everybody writes down, you know, courage, tenacity, big cojones, blah 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 blah. You know that sort of thing, right? And um, and then we read them towards the end. But then I, I tell them that without without emotional control all that stuff falls you could be as courageous as heck but if you're afraid it goes down because fear takes over so that's the thing you got to get a hold of anyway so how long were you a captain once you kind of started this this uh schedule of mm -hmm. splitting the the year between you and this other captain how long how long were you a captain for before you retired well i fished in the bering sea until 2014 and then I wanted to go to the Arctic, believe it or not. I got restless. And there was a big push up in the Arctic back then. So I got on as captain as a of a research vessel, went up to the Arctic for two years. And uh, I, don't want to fail, I don't want to fail to mention that my wife had come up a lot, almost every summer. Oh, that's um, helpful. What were you researching? Yeah, it was awesome. Pardon me? What were you researching? Um, we were doing, we would take... Well, not 30 because it was my seat. So there's 22 scientists. There's some of the scientists that wrote the books. They were the PhD guys. And then there was their assistants. They would come up. They'd do everything, dig up worms to look at walruses and polar bears. And it was really fun. It was a really cool job. Very I did cool. that for a couple of years. Um, we got as high as 400 miles above the Arctic. We, uh, and my daughter came up. My daughter was in her 20s at the time. So my wife would cook 12 hours a day and she would cook the other 12 hours a day. We ran, you run around the clock up there because there's no, there's no nighttime, right? It's sunny all the time. And then uh, we did a stint, believe it or not, on a boat called uh, Cornelia Marie, which is a deadliest catch boat. We took that boat up for the summer. And then um, I had an epiphany, believe it or not. I had an epiphany said, you know, I'm tired of driving boats. I want to. I want to write a book and be a speaker. So here I am. 
I was, uh, I wrote a book a few years ago. It's just a short book, hundred page book about, um, 10 different stories and they all deal with leadership. They all deal with it. They each give a story based on, you know, you needed to have some of this sort of thing. And then, uh, I started doing speaking. It was going great until of course, until COVID hit and then it just shut off like a knife. So hopefully we can crank that back up. And you said you just did a, a one of your first live events yes. recently. Right? Just did a live event, um, and I learned some things there. Um, I've always spoken to uh, seafood companies or – well, no, I take that back. I started out speaking on uh, cruise ships, believe it or not, that left Seattle and would go to Alaska, and I would be the – you know, they always want the bush pilots and the dog sled drivers and all that stuff to, you know, to give you a bit of Alaska. So I was the Alaska fisherman. I would give them an hour-long thing. It was a lot of fun. I didn't like all the flying back and forth, but it was a lot of fun. And then I switched into corporate world where I started speaking to places that used Pollock or used whitefish. I can't even think of Long John Silver's and and Burger King, those sort of places. So I really enjoy talking to people. I mean, I I have figured out that it's kind of a... uh, uh, I can appeal to almost any crowd. Because you come from a dangerous place, you got some ideas that you know how you survived, and I and I took a lot of photos and videos, so I, I you know it's a multimedia presentation. So that's the third part of my career, I guess you'd call it. I went from surfer to fisherman to speaker, <laughs> and that's what you're doing now. So I, I, yeah, I, I don't know if you really can count it as retirement, but more of a shift, right, into a different. Uh... Yeah, you know, I don't. People say they're bored when they get retired. I can't imagine. I I just can't imagine. There's just too much to do. We also right. have a 70-year-old 58-foot boat that we live on that is constantly needs our care, which is okay. It's, it's fine. I like doing it. So um, that's a fun part of it, too. That's wild. Um, um, I'm trying so- to think about my career. So, yeah. So I basically went into fishing, believe it or not, not because I'm a fisherman or I'm not a hunting and fishing outdoor kind of guy. I'm a, I'm a snowboarding, surfing kind of guy. but I liked boats. I really liked boats. And I would encourage anybody that's got some ideas about their career, go for what you like. You know, it may not pay. I mean, when I went surfing, I could care less. I was washing dishes, but I was happy because I was surfing, you know. Um, And I really, I could have worked, probably worked on tugboats or not on ships. They're too weird, but... um, I really like boats and I discovered that you can make a good living on boats. So then I set my heart or set my mind to learning as much as I could about the boats and working around people. And I learned that, you know, when you get around some of these old guys, you just do the jobs they don't want to do, you know, go up and down the ladders. They don't want to go up and down, you know, or sweep up or vacuum up or whatever. And pretty soon they like you. I mean, you know, it makes a difference. So. Um, you, you can't start out at the top. That's for darn sure. This is actually great because I feel like the topics that we've talked about regarding wildcat fisheries on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, we talk a lot about tradition and it's always like, oh, this person is a you know sixth generation fisherman or this is a 10th generation mariner or whatever. And I think that's kind of 
the vision that people have in their minds when they think about fishing and, and being maybe. a fisherman. Yeah, it's a bit mm-hmm. of a stereotype that you don't become a fisherman unless you're born into it, right? It's just a tradition right. in your family, and that's why you do it. That's why people do it. But there may be people that grew up in, you know, maybe a, maybe I grew up in a landlocked state and not anywhere near the ocean. But you know what? I just I want to be a fisherman. That just looks appealing mm-hmm. to me. I like I like the money. I like the idea of being out on the sea. I like the you know whatever it is that appeals to them, and they want to go into that career, but they may feel like, oh, like it's like, like there's gatekeeping or, you know, this isn't a something that has part of been part of my family tradition. So I'm never going to break into that. So like, Mm -hmm. this is really nice to hear that if you just have that interest, like go for it, you can still do it. And there are ways that you can do it. And, uh, I, you know, do you have any other last minute I mean, we're going to we're going to share some more stories and stuff. But uh, at this point, advice for someone who wants to break into the commercial fishing or yeah. uh, wild caught fisheries. And then Maddie, well, uh, Maddie, I think, has a question after. OK, well, just drilling down to it, if you really are looking to get on a boat nowadays, most of the boats are owned by a corporation. They have an HR and you just go there and talk to HR. And, but I will tell you that all the industries will tell you this fishing, farming, ranching mining, logging, it's hard to find young people that actually want to work. And it's hard work. There's no doubt about it. It's hard work, but it's really satisfying for me to work with your hands and actually produce something. It's really cool coming to the dock with a half a million pounds of fish that's food, you know? And we went out there and we yanked it out of the ocean and nobody got hurt. Nobody was yelling. It's a really satisfying type of work. And I'm not knocking the kids that just want to do startup companies with their iPhones. That's okay. But, and there's a lot of work involved there too, but there's nothing wrong with working, working with your hands. And all these industries need young people. They're just, they're all hurting. They'll all tell you that. And also, if you are down on the dock, if you don't go through HR, that sort of thing, if you're down on the dock, beating the docks to get a job on a boat, the best advice I ever got, I think it actually saved my life. Every boat is like its own world. It's like its own country, okay? It has a leader. It has it has a populated, you know, the, the captain, supposedly captain, runs the boat, and he, whether the boat's clean or not, how the crew act, how they dress, how they treat each other, how they treat the other people on the dock. I mean, there's some real ghettos. So you don't want... And this guy, I, I came up to a boat that was super nice. The crew was, they were working on the deck. They all joking around. I thought, man, I'd like to work on here, you know. And he said, hey, he said, we haven't had a new crew member in nine years. You know, it's a good boat and people are happy here. But he goes, I know you want a job. But he goes, don't go over to that boat and get a job because they go through people like crazy and they haul them off in stretchers. I mean, it's it sounds terrible, but it's true. I mean, you could go out and sink with those junkers. Wow. So, Good boats, a bad, good boats never need help, and bad boats always need help. Okay, so don't be too anxious to jump on a boat that, that doesn't, if it's not clean, I wouldn't get on it. I can tell you in 10 seconds when I step on a boat if I'd want to work on it or not. If it's, that's only a little bit of what you can see when you first step on. If it looks nasty, it is. So don't. <laughs> so, okay. So anyway. <laughs> Okay, so this might be a tough one, but what is one moment when you look over the past few decades, what's one moment that stands out to you? And that can mean like something, a moment that you feel really proud of or a really funny story that happened or just a moment that sticks out in your memory that 
you'd want to share? You know, I, as a fisherman, you think, oh, they just go out and work and come back. But um, I, I'm so fascinated by nature and by the way that's all put together out there. We have an area in Alaska. It's, it, with the Aleutian Islands, there's the very first break where you can get in the Bering Sea. So everything that migrates goes through this, we call it the on-ramp. I mean, whales and birds and dolphins and everything goes through there. And then they come up, the, the humpback whales come up, and they, when they arrive in Alaska, they haven't eaten for eight months. When they leave Alaska, they don't eat. When they get back, they are famished. And I have been so surrounded by uh, feeding humpback whales. I'm not, you know, I don't want to exaggerate, but I know there's a thousand of them there. And it's unseen by anybody else. There's no tourists there. There's no boats. There's no, you know, sometimes I just shut the boat off and listen to them, you know, eat and sound. And just think, this is, you know, this is unreal. This is, we get to see stuff. And it, I, could, I could go on and on and on about volcanoes and you name it, bears and just stuff that we've seen that you see in the brochures, you know. But mm -hmm. we would be, we worked in that environment. It was just awesome. So, yeah, it's not one time, but as many times I saw this good stuff. So that wasn't so hard. <laughs> no, that that's, yeah, that's that amazing. Was, that was really easy. That's probably what I mean, would pe stand people out the pay most to do that to stuff. You know, people. Oh, big time! Right? People pay, pay big money to about, do that stuff. Yeah, big time. Well, I was on probably one of those cruises. I was on. I took a cruise that left out of Seattle and went all the way up to a couple. Couple. What did we go to? We went to uh, Juno, which Juneau. is where I proposed to my wife. Oh, right on. Uh, what was the other one? It was uh, hey, Juno, Skagway. Yes, we went to Skagway yeah. and we got to see the train with the giant plow on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Did you come down through Ketchikan for Sitka. Yes, yeah. yeah. I love. I actually uh, Ketchikan was really was really nice. Yeah, I may uh, end up up there this summer, so we'll see. But we did an excursion and and we happened to have. It wasn't a like a whale watch. We were going just to check out like a glacier or something like that. But we mm -hmm. did end up seeing a whale. So of course everyone's running around like trying to get pictures and just watching the staff who see things like this all the time. Just. It doesn't matter. We see this all the time. This is this is a regular occurrence. So mm -hmm. to them, it made me stop and think of like how lucky people are. I mean, I grew up in Vermont. We have gorgeous mountain ranges that oh, yeah. when the fall hits and the foliage and the colors, and that was an everyday thing. And I just sometimes realize that I would ignore it almost in a way. Like you just see it, and that's just a, a way of life. We absolutely take that for granted for sure. Yeah. yeah, and then it would tourists come up who don't see that every day mm -hmm. that are just... But that wasn't what my question was. I, I, I just kind of went off on a little tangent, but I, I'm curious. I want to backtrack the very beginning of your story. So you finally got on a boat. What was one of the first jobs? How does that work? I mean, my vision, of course, is like dangerous catch. Like, okay, hey, welcome aboard. We're throwing you on the deck. You're going to have ice water splashing all over your face. You got to... I'm curious, what was your first role? And then what sort of training slash experience did you need in order to qualify to become a captain of a of a vessel yeah well, that's that's a great question because uh if we're talking about careers uh first of all i was a greenhorn they call it a greenhorn uh, crew members are paid a percentage of the catch and i was a half share so the crew got six percent i got three percent and you have to earn it you have it's, it takes a couple of years to to be about yourself um i happen to have going back to that bad boat situation um these guys were extremely good to me. I didn't have anybody harassing me or uh, playing dirty games on me or whatever. Um, and I was a natural athlete anyway, so I hopped around pretty good. Um, when I set my mind, I really did. I set my mind to be a skipper way before I ever became a skipper. And the funny thing was, 
I've never told this story, but um, I had rain gear like we all did, right? And sometimes when it, it starts to get older, it tears. And so I would patch it with silver tape. And after a while, my legs and the arms on this on this coat and my and my pants were getting quite a bit of silver tape, you know, and the crew's going, man, why don't you just buy some new rain gear? And I'm thinking in my head, I never told anybody, I said, this is the last pair of rain gear I'm ever going to own. I'm going to be a captain. I don't care, you know. Pretty soon, I look like the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz. I mean, I was covered in silver tape, right? And I never did buy another set of ring gear. And the guys laughed at me like, what are you doing? You're so cheap, man. I'm thinking, no, I'm not cheap. I'm just not going to stay here. So when we would, any time that we would be traveling or um, we weren't needed on deck, the guys will jump in the bunk and watch a movie or whatever, come in and eat. I'd go right upstairs and sit with the captain. The chair was close by him. I'd bring him something to eat, and I would just absorb what he was doing. This went on for a couple of years. I absorbed everybody he talked to, what he thought of everybody, the fleet, um, what his thinking was as far as where he was going, what we were doing, what the catch was doing. And when it came, when, when the opportunity popped for me to take over the seat, the owner of the boat says, do you feel like you're ready? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And he says, it's classic. He says, okay, we'll just take her out. We'll see how you do. <laughs> so he gave me a $10 million boat, like, okay, take her out. Let's see how you do, you know? I was thinking so, that, wow. that's going to go two ways. It's either going to be, all right, take the wheel and, you know, let's just go out and do it. Or it was going to be, all right, you sound, you feel like you're ready? All right, great. Go work the deck for another two years, and then we'll get you up. Yeah, there. right. Yeah, <laughs> it could have, too. You know, it's just where you, you, you know, it's so many adventure stories. You have to step into that challenge, or you step over the threshold of your fear. I was freaking afraid. Of course I was afraid. I'd never driven a boat before. It's 123 feet long. You know, the thing was huge. But it became like a, you know, fit like a glove after a while. You just, you move right into that. You, you up the game, man. It was cool. Yeah. So you can imagine you conquer your fear and you realize that you don't think about the value of the boat when you're out there. No, <laughs> hell no. It's just part of you. It becomes an extension. And that's one thing I had to remember as a captain is that I didn't really want to put the crew through extra toil or trouble or I mean, we had to do some crappy stuff. But a guy told me one day, he says, hey, you just drive this boat like you're the only guy on it. The crew is part of the boat. They'll get up. They'll go do this. You know, especially if they respect you and they know you're not out just giving them a bad time. So you don't, you know, if you're in business and you think, oh, I can't tell, you know, these people this because they won't like me or something. That don't work. You got to say, no, we got to do this because this is what the business needs. You know, we got to get up at three in the morning and haul the anchor and go over here and help somebody out or whatever. Um, all these wicked things. But it's, they're necessary things and they're part of the boat. You know, and if they don't want to do that, they don't need to be part of that boat. You know, it's just how we do things. So, Justin, I don't want to cut you. Do you have an, another question? We got about 10 minutes left, so I... I know. I have like an hour and a half worth of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I have so many questions. I don't know how to prioritize because I... But it's difficult for me because I think we are a lot alike in in that when you experience something that not a lot of other people get to experience... You soak that in. Like my wife gets really angry at me because I will get out of my truck after we've grocery shopped or something and I will just stare at my property. Now, granted, everyone has, there's a lot of people who own property in New England, but that's, but what I'm getting at is I, I can envision myself greatly enjoying being in a very secluded, non-touristy place where you are seeing nature at its finest. And it's something that no one else 
very select few people get get to witness and being able to maximize that value. It's funny so, you say that because you live in Kenny Bunkport, which is like the most touristy town. <laughs> But not where you live, not where you are, not that part that's of town. That's probably why he is, feels this way. It is. It, it was just funny to, to hear, you know, get that aspect well, of it because you, you that is such a touristy place. But like where you are, it's. I understand you know, what you're saying. Lucky you know, with, uh, but Justin, you know, there's there's a good example of that in my business is that we're surrounded by eagles, bald eagles. I mean, we have. 30, 40, 50 of them on our boat at a time, right? Because there's no trees up there. So they have to land on boats. That's where they hang out. Maddie, wow. I'll send you some pictures. They're awesome. But um, That's so cool. Half of the fishermen, over half, could care less. They don't even look up. They don't even, you know, I got a camera out. I'm snapping pictures like crazy. They think I'm acting like a tourist. But I'm going, look at this stuff. This is amazing, you know? So you have that amazing attitude, you know, like you're fascinated by this stuff, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Just have to tell your wife. That's. <laughs> Can you tell us the eagle story that uh, you were so scared about, and you mentioned in the video you sent? Oh, it's in my book. You got to buy my book, Sean. Oh, <laughs> what a tease! <laughs> I'm just He's kidding. a pro marketer. <laughs> no, but that I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my questions, which usually comes near more towards the end. But any of our listeners that want to purchase your books, where, mm-hmm. where can they do that? I'm it's just going to ask it's it. It's on now. Amazon. It's called "You Can't Make This Stuff Up," <laughs> and it's you know. So great we'll find and we'll link to it into the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, the Eagle story, you know, I had plenty of chances to be afraid, of course. But when, when I do actually say this is the most scared I ever was in Alaska and me and my fascination with fear, um, this dug down to the primal level because I, I was photographing. I don't, I don't get off the boat very often, but I was photographing a, a big female. They're actually bigger than the males. And she was on this rock down at the beach and she wasn't moving. And I just got closer and closer and closer to this big lens. And all of a sudden she let out this blood curdling screech and came right at me, which I'd never experienced before. Cause eagles, eagles and humans live pretty close up there. They're not tame by any means, but they, um, they're very common. Anyway, she came right at me. I did get a picture of it as she came at me. And then three seconds later from out of the sun, her mate, dove at me um screaming this this screech that just that that was what scared me was a screech i was being attacked actually uh, let me back up a second i wasn't being attacked if i was being attacked i'd have scars but what i didn't know was they were protecting their young that was sitting in the grass back there and i didn't see them and i was getting too close mm-hmm. so every single swoop came down and, and three seconds later there's another swoop because they were coordinated timing and they were pushing me back swooping with their talons out screaming and i fell down in the rocks and the sand i was terrified but i was terrified and somebody told me this later you're terrified because you're being attacked by a wild animal that's a different kind of fear like there's they they want to confuse you and they want to terrify you and they were yeah, when i got up to my primal. truck it was bizarre and i thought wow man what the heck you know and then i saw the two babies down they had just left the nest that day we're down in the grass. So, yeah, that's the most scared I ever was in Alaska. <laughs> that's wild. Pretty crazy. So I, I want to start to uh, wrap it up, but right. I want to, we always ask this, uh, we kind of asked it earlier, but what's the, the last piece of advice, words of wisdom, whatever you'd like to share for, uh, for young people that, that want to have a career in seafood? Um, if you want to have a career in seafood, that's a great idea. It really is. 
And of course, there's endless. Let me keep this short. Don't get stuck in something you don't like. Okay. If you're doing something that you can see is going to pay off and that you like, you can do some cruddy stuff. You can clean the slime. You can suck up the junk. You can do whatever it takes, but you're headed towards a better goal. But if your goal, if, if you don't see a goal and you're stuck in some job that you, you know, doesn't give you any satisfaction, go do something else. It's okay. It's really okay. Don't be stuck your whole life doing what you hate. You know, that, that would be a terrible way to live. Fantastic. And then if, if people do want to get in contact with you, not just about the book, but just either mm-hmm. to have you speak or just to pick your brain and have a conversation, uh, what's the sure. best way for them to reach out to you? I think all my information's on my website. I'm not very good at websites and uh, that sort of thing, but uh, it's uh, www.jackmolan.com. And I think it's got my contact numbers there and all that stuff. And, and I, you know, like I said, I, I love speaking to people. I love, uh, I have a multimedia presentation. You can see quite a bit of it on my website. Um, I had a lot of fun taking pictures the last four or five years of my career because I knew, I just knew I was in a place that most people didn't know anything about. So it was, it was really cool. Jack, I guess as we wrap this up, is there anything else, anything else that you'd like to get out there while you have this platform? Um, you know, I never would have imagined how it was going to go. You never do. I mean, I'm 66 years old now. I still feel like I'm 20 years old in many ways. Ain't that the way. And if you if you're taking on a career and or or you're starting a business or anything like that, you're going to have bumps. You're going to have devastating bumps. Like you're going to go broke or you're going to have to restart or you're going to you know, life is messy, but it's okay. It's it's really worth doing. It it's a it's a really valuable thing that I can look back and I'm just glad I did it. I never wanted to live and say, "Man, I wish I would have done that," you know. And it's not that I conquered the world, but I'm just really grateful for the life we've had. So anyway, I'm grateful for things like this podcast. It's awesome. Way to go, you guys. Well, we're grateful that you were able to come on and join us and share your story. We really appreciate that. Maddie, Justin, do you guys have anything else before we wrap up? Yes, but I don't (laughs) want to. We can't get into it because it's too close to the end. But maybe that will be it. A time, uh, another time. I'm sure there will be right. no problem having uh, Captain Jack come back on and uh, talk about some other topics. You know, when I spoke with you before, Jack, we talked about some of the other things that we could have gone over. You know, sustainability oh, and yeah. wild caught fisheries, some of the other things, and and There's those are definitely topics that we should uh, yeah. that we should touch on. So let's stay in touch. Let's make sure we get you back on the show for sure. For sure, I you know there's some huge good stories out here about the fisheries, man, and you know. Like you guys know, fish is the way to go. So let's get the word out for sure. That's a hashtag for you, Manny. Totally. Hashtag fish is the way to go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, All right. Again, thank you um, so much for coming on, Captain Jack. This well, was you, such yeah. a great conversation. I feel like I learned so much and I also wow. have still so many questions. So thank you yep. for sharing your story. Okay, great. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, Captain Jack Mullen, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Very good. Folks, that was our conversation with Captain Jack Mullen. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, and I hope you were as inspired as we were. Some really nice little tidbits uh, and helpful advice for anyone trying to start their career and who might have an interest in a career out at sea. I hope you really took in some of that information and took it to heart because it's really good. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as they're available. Follow us on Twitter at Aquademia Pod. If you want to reach out to us, fill out the contact form located at 
globalseafood.org slash podcast. And lastly, remember to take those two minutes and write a quick review and rating for Aquademia wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us out and we really appreciate hearing from you guys. With that, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.